this podcast, Wayne Bruce talks to Christine Kilpatrick, the Chief Executive of Melbourne Health. I might just start by asking you, you know, you moved from clinical role as, as a doctor and eventually you moved into various forms of medical management and then into overall management of a health service. So what sort of influenced your decision to take that path? I think the, the trigger was in the late 90, 1990s and uh, early 2000. And I was appointed the chairman of the senior medical staff at Royal Melbourne Hospital, where I was working at the time. And uh, I was a neurologist then. I'd been working as a neurologist for many, many years. and very happy in that, that role. But while I was the chairman of the senior medical staff, there's all sorts of ways you can take on that role. And I took the opportunity to uh, get to understand how the system worked and how the health system worked. And I got quite interested and I could see there was more to the health system just rather than just the doctor and the patient, which is a very important relationship, of course. But I did get interested in the bigger picture. And so then in the early 2000s, there came, an, came up an opportunity to take on a role as a divisional director, a part-time role. And I took on the role that nobody really wanted. So that's how I got the role. <laughs> that's how, how you often get your first yeah, gig, I think. So I took that on as well as continuing with neurology and I enjoyed it and I liked it and I got interested in it. And so really opportunities went from there. But then I realised pretty early on in that phase that I, I didn't want to be a divisional director forever and I didn't want to be a chief medical officer forever, which I went on to do, and I'd like to be a CEO. And so I, I thought, well, I had to fast track somehow. So I went off and did an MBA and uh, and then eventually I was appointed to the children's and, and now back here at Royal Melbourne Hospital. So it sort of came over, it was a gradual thing, but it was a, a deliberate decision and I have no regrets. And it, I always think it gave me two careers, if you like. I think I've been fortunate in that sense. Absolutely. So it's been the biggest challenge or challenges that you've faced in your career, do you think? I think the, uh, now is probably the biggest challenge I've ever faced with COVID and not so much today when it's, you know, it's, it's reducing inactivity, but certainly in the peak of it, no doubt, no, in really in late July, early August, we, we had a peak of COVID at our hospital and uh, very distressingly, we also had uh, healthcare workers in our hospital who, who were positive for COVID and a lot of people who were required to be furloughed. And I think furloughing a staff being isolated for two weeks is much more dramatic than you, we would ever have thought. Um, has a quite a negative impact on their mental health, their well-being, and so I found that very challenging. Very challenging managing the pandemic, but then facing up to it and managing the issue of the staff, which was quite distressing. But that's it's improving now. But that has been probably the most challenging. And there've been plenty of challenges in my career, but I'd have to say this pandemic has been the most challenging that I've faced. And I'd imagine like we all have had to adapt and twist on a coin and be very nimble and agile. Yes. I'm sure that's been the case for you. Yes, look, I, I think to, to manage it, you've got to be resilient, to be honest. I think you do need to be agile and flexible, whatever words we want to use, but adaptable to the changes. You've got to cope with uh, uncertainty because that's what there's been. And we've had you know, great advice from the department, but it kept changing and changing, not for the sake of changing, but because new knowledge came out. And so there'd be new steps and, and new policies, new procedures we put in place. So it was all consuming. And it still is all consuming in terms of volume of work. That uncertainty was difficult. And then of course you need to bring the staff with you and it's the staff who are the frontline workers who come every day show up to work every day with uncertainty uncertainty in their own personal lives uncertainty about the future and uncertainty in the workplace and uh, I think that was the challenge that we had to face and uh, I chose and our executive we chose to be on site and to to lead here on site at the hospital you know, some people might be critical of that but I think I, I couldn't work out how I could expect staff to come to work every day if I wasn't going to come to work every day so that's how I saw 
saw it. But I think being visible and being about, although a very lesser extent than we normally would be, but still being about as clear a message I hoped that the staff would know we were with them and there to support them. I'm sure they've appreciated that. What do you see happening in terms of the digital space in healthcare sort of now and into the future? I think that's the, it is, well, it's now, but it's going to be the absolute future. So uh, interestingly, we had the privilege of putting an electronic medical record on an enterprise-wide system across all of Royal Melbourne Hospital, together with the Peter Mac and the Women's and on the Royal Children's Hospital system. So the four hospitals here in the precinct are now on the one system, the one instance. And so there's communication about patients across the precinct, which is fantastic. We went live just at the peak of COVID. So, and that was on the 8th of uh, August. So it was a, a very challenging time. Time, but we it was successful and it is successful and uh, that's the big first big step forward in being a digital health service but I I think digital has an enormous role and we've just seen it in the last few months through COVID some of the digital models of care which I had hoped we would take on board but we struggled to before COVID have actually just developed enormously so telehealth is an absolute example of that but I think there's much more we can do I think there's home monitoring so home-based care is going to grow and supported by digital is going to be a big uh, change in the way we deliver services not all services of course but there's many patients who could be managed very safely and adequately and appropriately and probably in their best interests in the home rather than in in the hospital itself the other issues is the use of digital just like we are now um, using digital for meetings and communicating with each other is worked remarkably well remarkably well and what I've noticed is educational sessions or large information sessions with our staff and interactive sessions uh, with managers and all staff, we've had much bigger numbers and it may be partly because of COVID and they're more interested and more feel they need to be connected, but they have been much more connected. And I think people feel safer on a digital platform and it's they can do it from their home, they can do it forever, wherever they might be. And so it's very convenient. Multidisciplinary meetings for the clinicians has worked very well using a digital platform. Grand rounds, we've had huge numbers attending grand rounds, whereas if, when it was physically, we never thought you could do it any other way except physically. I think there are many ways that the digital platform is going to change how we deliver services and how we work together working from home I'm sure will have a place probably not as much as it's having at the moment but I think it will absolutely have a constructive place for the working model going forward. And as you're able to analyse the data that's aggregated through EMR and other sort of digital things, I mean, what role will that play on informing models of care and analysing what variables affect the patient safety and quality of outcomes? You know, it's early days. We've only been live really five weeks now, I think it is, but though we don't have all that data yet. But I, what I do know is from the EMR, we can we can get a lot of uh, data about safety of care, much more than you could before. And secondly, the program itself improves the safety because there's a lot of decision support we've built into the program. So that improves the safety of patient care. There's a lot of checks and balances about medication, which improves medication safety. So there are processes which just you can't keep going until you address those. So that improves the safety of the care we give our patients. The other is that it also tells us where the blocks are, the barriers, if you like, in patient flow across the organisation, from the front door, the emergency part front door, to the back door and to discharging. You can work out, because there's a lot of waiting for that happens in a hospital. We know that. We do audits and we know it. To have the data in real time, which we know what is someone waiting for, if there is a waiting for component, and rather than pre progressing care, what are we just waiting for to, to be able to move on with the care? 
that we need to deliver. And so identifying that, having the data, clinicians like data, otherwise it's just anecdote, I think can help us drive improvements. So I think it's going to have a significant impact on understanding the business, so to speak, understanding the flow and what we can do and systems we put in place to try and improve the flow. Diversity is obviously a prominent issue and everyone is trying to improve their performance of organisations in that regard. What what trends have you seen over the last, let's say, decade with companies and boards looking to address that? Well, I think everyone is trying to address be mindful of and see the pluses and advantages of acknowledging diversity and, and embracing diversity. It's changed a lot, certainly 20 years has changed dramatically, 10 years it's, it's changed quite a lot. So the changes I think are that we're open about it and address it and we acknowledge that the differences in all of us uh, make us unique, make us a plus and make us make this hospital, we're talking about here at Royal Melbourne Hospital, such a wonderful organisation with 10,000 people and many, many people are very different. There are some people who are very similar, but there are many who are very different and they all bring a different aspect to the organisation. But the other is, of course, patients are diverse too. So if we don't, if we don't have a diverse workforce, then uh, we are going to struggle to be able to respond in a, a, an appropriate way to our diverse patient population. So the needs of patients, the wishes of patients, what's important to a patient is very different in one group than it is in another and in individuals. And I think as a profession and as a healthcare profession professionals, I think we have struggled a bit with that. We've, we've struggled to understand that, but I think with a much more patient-centered approach, we are beginning to understand that better. We've still got a long way to go, but I think we are understanding that much better. Who do you think's inspired you the most in your career? An interesting question. A couple of people that do come to mind, and they're, they're both doctors who, who um, inspire me. I think they're wonderful leaders, and they've come from being clinicians, and clinician, one of them a clinician researcher, but into uh, really a very strong leadership role and made, making a big difference to this state, in particular, Victoria. You can say even more than that. But uh, one is the CEO of Safety Care Victoria. So Ewan Wallace, I think Ewan was, a, an obst was still is, an obstetrician, probably doesn't practice obstetrics, I'm not sure now, but he was an obstetrician. Uh, he was a researcher, but, but he was a, a, mainly a clinician. But, but he, he obviously had a clear idea about what high-quality care was all about and what, what we should be doing to deliver high-quality care. And he's now come in as the safe, the. Uh, leader of Safety Care Victoria and I think he's done a wonderful role and job in translating that into a language which is much better understood and appreciated by clinicians particularly the medical profession and so that is a wonderful wonderful uh, thing to have done for our state and for the pa our patients that we look after so so I, I admire what he he has done and continues to do and the other person is Sharon Lewin who's the director of the Doherty Institute. And Sharon is an infectious diseases physician. I've known her for many, many years. Remember her well as a registrar and then as a consultant. And, and she's always, and a researcher, of course. And she has, you know, through a number of leadership roles, but she is now the uh, director of the Doherty, which is a, a collaboration between the University of Melbourne and the Royal Melbourne Hospital. And really, she has managed to bring groups together and much greater than some of the parts, if I can put it that way. And, and she's enabled them to flourish and to make an enormous contribution, particularly 
particularly through COVID, but even before that. And I think she has an ability to bring out the best in people, to, to acknowledge the uh, contribution of individuals and of groups, and really to harness the energy of people to, to produce great work. So, and to really communicate it to the public and politicians and leaders, what infectious diseases and what the work of the Doherty is all about. They're two leaders that I admire, who come from the medical background actually, and I think have done great things. When you're recruiting for a senior executive to come into your team, I mean, apart from the technical skills you need for the particular job, but what are the key attributes and experience sets that you're looking for to come in that will be effective? So the technical side's easy, not easy, but there are lots of people who can do the technical side of things. But I think there probably are two other elements that I think are important and therefore I'm, I'm sure I consciously look for. One is, and, we, and I have to be careful about this, but one is to think about it. How would this person fit in with our executive team? Because you, you bring an executive in not just to be the technical person, of course they are, they come with a set of skills in a particular area that you need, but they, they also have an equally important role as being a member of our team, our leadership team of the organisation. And so if they just come with the technical skills and not the ability to fit into the team, not to be all homogenous and sane, but to work well as a team and part of the team, and take on a leadership role, not just in their portfolio, but a leadership role of the organisation, then to me, that's not going to work. So I always think about that. And it was always hard because you can't try before you, you buy. You, you have to try and sort that out and make a, a good uh, decision about that. So that's something I'm very, very conscious of. And the other is to, to make sure that they're always thinking ahead and being, I suppose, creative is a word, innovative is a word, comes to mind where, so not just doing that technical, but how, uh, so for example, as people and culture, it's how, how will we tackle occupational violence? How will we uh, tackle, not tackle, but how do we create our leaders? So thinking differently and always thinking ahead and always trying to improve and do things even better because we never, the job is never done. This job is never done. So, so they're the two aspects that I think are important. If you now think of your audience as the, the younger cohort, what would be your tips to them that are aspiring to build a career perhaps similar to your own? A couple of tips. First of all, don't be in a rush. Sometimes you meet young people and they, they, they're always worrying about leadership and how do I become a leader and, and they sort of focus on that upward progression before really getting the, the basics right, if I can put it that way. So I think don't be in a rush, depends on your stage of your career, of course, but uh, take take your time. Uh, the second is, I think, to be, if you're a clinician and to be a clinician leader and then go into, say, management, like I have done, but I think to have not as much clinical work as I did, I don't think you need that, but, but to have a very good base of clinical work before you go on into a management role is a good thing. You, you get credibility that way, that's important, but you generally understand the, the challenges that our healthcare workers have and, uh, and, and the complexity of, of working in health. So, I think some uh, frontline work is, is excellent uh, and substantial amount is good. And then, and then the second is to be brave and that, that is be brave to take that next step when it's the time. And I contemplated doing an MBA and contemplated going to management probably quite a while before I ever did. And I, I always said, oh gosh, what if I fail? What if I fail? That wouldn't be any good. So I was, but I should have been braver and I should have got 
going in the, a bit somewhat earlier. Now that, that's a, a regret. How would life be different? I don't know. But that I just think in retrospect, I would probably lift that too late. So there can be two extremes in that sense. But and take on a role that maybe sometimes you might think, oh, that's a role. I'm not sure I really want to do that one. But it might be the one that's being offered to you. And uh, that's what I, that was my first step. I took the role no one else wanted. And uh, then it went from there. So I think don't be in a rush. Having said that, be brave and take the next step when it's time. Get some clinical work under your belt if that's uh, what you have as a background. And, and then don't be afraid just to take on the role that no one else wants because you may well do very well and it'll be a big stepping stone. You know, I think your career is self-evident and I think you're a great role model for anyone aspiring to move into healthcare leadership leadership in general, whether that's from a clinical background or, or not. So really appreciate you sharing your thoughts today. Pleasure. Thanks very much.